we'll see where that fits in now. So, if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 John chapter 3, we are at. And uh, John here is going to, uh, as, as we're going through this, I've just been challenged. I've just, uh, I've, I've loved going through this. And, um, you know, John's been a little hard on us the first couple chapters. He's given us a lot to look at. He's given us a lot to examine. He says, you know, are you really a Christian? You know, are, are you professing to um, be of the light, but yet you're walking in darkness? And he, he tells us what? You're a liar. The truth isn't in you. So he, he, he's challenging us in these things. And I don't know if any of you are, are perfectionists in, in here. Um, I, I don't know if I'm a perfectionist, but I, I like to get things right and uh, you like to do things right. And John, I think, you know, when, we, when he's presenting the gospel, we present the, the perfect answer. We prevent, uh, present the perfect answer for salvation, for the troubles of the world. The word of God has the answers for anything that we go through. You know, if, if we only ask, if we only read, uh, we can find the answers to all of life's situations in, in this. And so John is giving us this idealistic um, view of, of how the believer should be living. How should we be living? What should we be doing? And so he describes uh, the person of Christ. He started in chapter 1 and then fellowship with him and with one another. He says our relationship with others is, is also very important. He goes on in chapter 2 that says, you know, Christ is our advocate. He is the one who has paid for our sins. We can do that. And then he gives us this test. This test of knowing him. And he says this, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says that I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Oh man, what do you do with scriptures like that? That's, that's hard. you know. And so we're looking at these things. And he continues on going through about the spiritual state of things. That we shouldn't love the world. And we know a lot of times we find ourselves, uh, as we talked last week about the Antichrist, the big A, and then the, the little Antichrist. Those things that lure us into the world, and so we have these deceptions of the last hour that draw us away. And so he's talking about all these things, and we can probably begin to feel pretty discouraged. Am I ever going to meet the mark? Am I really good enough uh, to be a Christian? Does, does God really love me? And uh, the answer is, you know, am I ever going to meet the mark? Not in this world. Am I good enough to be a Christian? No. Does God really love me? Yes. You know, we're not saved by our works. We're saved by Christ. And so we're not good enough to be a Christian. But John is going to start this chapter 3 sort of taking a break from the challenges and maybe seeing that there's a discouragement. So if you've raised children, you know what this is like. So we always want what's best for our children. Sometimes we always expect... Uh, even if we don't state it, we, we sort of expect perfection. We want them to do it right, get it right, stay in the right path, and they don't always do that, okay? And so we can be harsh on them. We can be a harsh taskmaster if we want to be or if we intend to be or not intend to be, but we can be that way sometimes. And I think really John is showing us here that, you know, maybe he's feeling the discouragement of the church a little bit, of, of these people talking about all these perfect things, but he's really taking a step back here in chapter 3 and saying this, guess what? It's okay. You're a child. You're my child. It'll be okay. So when I raise my kids, 
lot of times they'd fall short, you know, and they'd come home, they'd be embarrassed about something, ashamed of something. They, they blew it. They made some mistake. It was like, we're going to get through this, okay? You know, I'm your parent. You're my, my child. We are going to make it. And I think John wants to reaffirm that. So um, we're really only going to go through the first three verses today. And it says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we're going to talk about the, de de the destiny of our relationship with God. And so when, when we step back sometimes, it's like we just need to stand in the Father's shadow. We just need to really uh, embrace and receive um, the love that he has for us. Sometimes we get so busy trying to accomplish things, to, to make these benchmarks, to um, you know, prove ourselves, that we really miss the relational aspect of the Father. And so John speaks of, of this amazement about this manner of love that makes us children of God. You know, John stands back and says, this is an amazing thing. I, I want you to understand this is amazing. He wants us to behold it, he says, and that's really to, to look at it and, and study it intently. Have you ever just stepped back and really looked at the love that God has for you? He loves you. I mean, he loves you so much that he sent us on Jesus Christ to die for you. So, so he says, well, we're going to look at this amazement. And, you know, we sing a, a song every now and then um, called Amazing Love. You know, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. And all I do, I honor you. I think the Apostle John could have wrote the lyrics to that song. Because he's really saying, this is the goal. I stand amazed that you died for me, that you love me this much, that you love me enough to call me your child. And you know, when we are family, there's a big difference. You know, sometimes we, we, we think about, you know, the blood is thicker than water. And even though we fail sometimes, we know that, that God has this great love for us. And so he says, he bestowed upon us. And that bestowed really... Can, can mean several things. One is it's the measure of God's love to us. It could mean lavished upon us. If you ever think about the word lavish, just pour it out upon us. God has this great love for you. If you were the only sinner in the world, he gave his one and only son for your salvation, that your sins could be forgiven, that you could be redeemed. It's the measure of love. So when he talks about bestowed, it's the measure of love. How do you measure God's love? As far as the east is from the west. As the depths of the oceans. The height of the universe. You really can't measure those things. God's love is, is eternal and it's huge. But it also speaks of the, the giving of God's love. It's a one-sided giving. Okay, it's, Instead of a return for something, it's a one-sided giving. And what other word sort of comes to mind when we think about God and one-sided giving? Starts with a G. Grace. Grace is a one-sided giving. Not that we've earned it, not that we deserve it, not that we're good enough for it, but it's a gift of God. And God says his love 
It's like that. It's a one-sided giving. So when it says he's bestowed upon us, he's lavished upon us, he's made available this great love for us. So why do we have troubles with that? Why do we have troubles receiving God's love and and walking in God's love and and sharing God's love with others? Well, Sometimes it's pride. We're prideful people. We don't like to admit our mistakes. We don't like to face the things that we've done wrong. We don't want to be accountable for a lot of things. So we have pride in our life. And pride is really to prove ourselves worthy. So I've often said with salvation, wouldn't salvation be a lot easier if you could just pay $10 and receive it? Sort of like going to a movie. Oh, I paid for my ticket and there, you know, I, I deserve to be here because I paid for this ticket. But when somebody gives you something, isn't there always that thought like, well, now i got to do something back, you know? I always had this thought when, we were, when we'd go out with people and sometimes people would pick up our, our dinner tab or something. It's like, oh, next time, next time I got you, you know? It's just like, I, I feel indebted. It's like a pride thing. I don't need you to pay for my, oh, no. God says, you know, it's not that we need it, but God wants to give it to us. He wants us to have it. He wants us to live in it and experience it. So sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's just unbelief. Sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our head around God when we see the things that are going on in the world, when we've experienced hurt and pain in our life. And we may ask the question sometimes, why God? Why did I have to go through this? Why why do I have this sickness? Why this relationship problem? Why these troubles in my life? And so sometimes it's just unbelief. We, we fail to believe because we're going more on the sight around us of, of our circumstances and situations than we are in the faith of God. Hebrews says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We walk by faith and not by sight. But the truth of the matter is most times we walk by sight and not by faith. Uh, Larry had a, one of our Bible says I shared this with a friend the other day. You had that question, would you rather have a little faith in a foot of ice or a lot of faith in an inch of ice? Think about that. If you were to walk across Lake Eau Claire, and you're going to go visit Daryl and Ellie, would you like a lot of faith in an inch of ice or a little faith in a foot of ice? See, sometimes we're like that. challenges us in the way that we think about things. Sometimes it just takes time, too. That'd be the third thing. Sometimes it just takes time for us to really see God's hand at work. You know, I tell people, don't be in a big rush for things. God unfolds things in his timing. And so to get a fuller understanding of who God is and what he's doing, sometimes we just need to watch and wait. And that's hard because of who we are in the world today. We're in an instantaneous world where when we want something, we want it now and here it is and we're going to get it and it's just going like this. And our, our, we wake up in the morning and we go to bed at night and it's all been a blur. Sometimes we need to slow down and just really watch for God and, and what God is doing. But he says this, we should be called the children of God. So as God looked down at all humanity, you know, there's probably many ways that he could have provided salvation. After all, he's God. I mean, he could have done it anyway. He could have looked down at us with all of our with all of his compassion anyways, and, and, and pity on our poor circumstance, you know, those foolish humans that I created, and all the stupid stuff they do, you know, i got to provide a way. He could have provided any way that he wanted to. But he set forth a plan of salvation 
that was going to show his love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God. He gave us Jesus Christ. He gave us his son, Jesus. And he provided that way. So he went beyond to even call us his children. Not that we're equal with Jesus. Okay, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But he calls us his children. We're adopted into the family. Jesus is the one and only begotten son of Jesus. We are adopted into the family. And those that have been adopted into a good family, they know what have I done in my life to deserve to come into a good family like this. You know, I have a friend up north who uh, had three children. One of them was adopted and he's getting older and he was looking at his end time things and how am I going to, you know, do this with my children and, and the one adopted one is, is just in the world. He's into drugs. He's into trouble. He's into different things. But he says, I want him to have a third because he's my son. And he's not my adopted son. He's my son. He's got two natural sons. He's got an adopted son. I want him to have his share because he's my son. See, God looks at us that way. When we enter into the family of God, we are his. We are grafted in. We have become part of this life-giving vine. And so God loves us. And so he's gone way beyond this to call us the children. Well, who calls us? The Father does. He says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. 2 Corinthians 6.18. The Father calls us. He says, you're going to be my sons and my daughters. I, I, I really want you to think about what does that mean to be a child of God? For him to love us that much. It says that Jesus does. It says in Hebrews 2.11. You shall not be ashamed to call us brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we address one another. If we are. You know. We sing a song like that every now and then. You may hear that we call your brothers and sisters around here. We're, we're, we're fellow family members. Third, the Spirit does. It says that. The Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8.16 The Bible reiterates this time and time again that we are children of God. And when we're going through struggles, when we're going through things in our life and, and we're confused or we don't know, we need to step back in that assurance that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus and that we are a child of God. And like any healthy family, when you have children, you love those children. And God loves us. See, we get it wrong sometimes when we think that um, about redemption. Because sometimes we think redemption is just merely a restoration of what was lost with Adam. You know, in the fall in the garden. And so sometimes we just think that, that that's really what redemption is. is just restoring what was lost with Adam. But let me tell you this. We are granted more in Jesus than Adam ever had. Adam did not experience what we can experience here today. That we are a child of God. Our redemption gives us way more than they, what they had in the time of Adam. God says, wrap your head around that. Think about that. Meditate upon that. And if we're truly children of God, then it should show in our likeness to the Father and how we treat our siblings. Right? Do you know for most Christians, we can probably get along with our unsaved neighbor more than we can with somebody in the church. Isn't that sad? We're family. 
But it shows in, in regular families too, right? We raised five kids. You ever have kids fight at home? You know, argue, nitpick, scream, holler, temper tantrums. And I used to tell our kids, what? You guys are brothers and sisters. Love each other. You're supposed to love each other. Oh, you know, they're all upset. And so I'd pull out my t-shirt, which was huge, and I could fit two little bodies in it, all the same head hole. You're going to sit there until you get along. Okay? What would happen if we did that in the church? You know? The problem is, is that we are to love one another as brothers and sisters of Christ. Amen. We're to care for one another. We're to pray for one another. Yeah, there's times when we're not going to see things eye to eye. But it says that we want to grow up in our Father's image. Again, in a healthy home, when, when the children are being raised, you know, the little daughters want to be like mom. I want to be like mom. I want to learn how to cook cookies. I want to learn how to do this. I want to learn. Maybe some of them want to be like dad. I had a tomboy in, in my clan. But the boys grew up too saying, you know, dad is the best. My dad is stronger than your dad. My dad is this. And, and I want to, and they want to grow up. They don't quite know all of our imperfections yet. They find those out later. But in the spiritual realm, it should be like that too. We're children of God. And so we look at the Father and we say, I want to be like God. I don't want to be a God. There's only one God. There's only one begotten Son. But I want to be like Him. I want to be like Him. And that's what the Scripture is telling us. That Jesus' desire and God's desire as a Trinity is for us to be more Christ-like each and every day. Unfortunately, in the church today, we strive to be more like the world than not of the world. A lot of churches today sort of mimic the world. But he tells us, but as many have received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. He gives us lots of warnings. He said there are those that, that profess with their mouth great, great things, but their hearts are far from them. He says, why do you love me and do not the things that I command? There's a lot of the, the falseness that's out there. Only God knows the heart. But what about you? When we're talking this morning, we're talking about looking at ourselves. We're talking about a self-examination. And so we're going to talk about the destiny of God's children. The Bible says we can have assurance. And I think that's what John is saying to the church here. Yeah, we get it wrong. Yeah, we fail miserably sometimes. Yeah, I, I have that foot and mouth disease sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I fell and, and went into this area that I shouldn't have. But we're going to find out a little bit later that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we confess those sins to him, when we repent of those sins. But he gives us that, that assurance that we are the children of God. And that we get that assurance through the Holy Spirit. When you're a born-again believer, you get the Holy Spirit in your life. Everybody that is born again gets the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's our assurance. And that's why Romans tells us that the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit. That Holy Spirit, in a way, is, is um, I like to say, sort of like pain in our life. You know, pain in our life is a good thing. We don't think it is, but it really protects us from things. So we know that, oh, that's hot. I don't want to do that. Oh, this is too heavy. I'm, I'm ripping a muscle. Uh, you know, or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. I got an infection. I got a fever. We have those things. The Holy Spirit, spiritually, is in our life. 
for many of the same things. It, it convicts us about things that uh, we're doing wrong. It's there to guide us in our paths. It's there to give us strength to face the things that we've done wrong and to be accountable for those things. But it also lets us know when we're walking in the right path, when we're doing the things that God would have us to do. And so we have the Spirit as an assurance in our life. And if you're born again, that Spirit should be that assurance in your life. Don't ever quench the Holy Spirit in your life. Some people want to justify their sin or hide their sin or bury their sin. You know, it always comes back around. I was saying in the, in the race of life, I look at it like hurdlers. And you know, if you've ever watched a hurdler, they've got to jump over all these things. And sometimes we knock them down as we go along. But sometimes people say, I'm not jumping anymore. And I believe that God brings us back around and around and around until we get it right. Okay? In our life. He's not going to let us grow beyond certain situations. There's times when we just got to sit down and get real with God. There's times when, as a church, we need to evaluate things and say, why are we doing what we are doing? So this Bible speaks of the great plans that God has for our lives like this. And I mean, he, God has a plan for you. I want you to know that. Because it says, for whom he foreknew, okay, so with God there is no time. It says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his plan for you. So he wants you to be like this, this ball of clay. If you've ever taken art in, in school, you know what I'm talking about. you got this ball of clay, you pop it on that wheel, and then you start to make something out of it. God wants to make something out of you. And so he wants us to be a soft, soft, pliable, moldable ball of clay. And we read many times in the scripture where it refers to, to the potter and the clay and different things. He doesn't want you to be this clump of clay that's dried out in a desert because that dried out chunk of rock can't do anything until it's moistened, until the ingredient is added back in that makes it soft and pliable. And so for me, that's like the Holy Spirit in our life. When we're born again, sometimes we're that hard rock of clay. The Holy Spirit comes in, and, and the closer we get to the Spirit, the more pliable we are for God to do what He wants to do in our life, because we're willing to surrender those things to Him. But for some Christians, we choose to stay out and get baked. We choose to remain hard and not let God do the work that He wants to do in your life. And you're never going to find contentment there. You're never going to find purpose or meaning of your life there. So it says he foreknew us, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might, that he might be amongst the firstborn of many brethren. He's talking about Jesus would be the firstborn of many brethren. So God's ultimate goal in our lives is to make us like Jesus. To even think about that, to even realize that sometimes in your life. That's his goal, is to make us like Jesus. And John is really speaking right now about that fulfillment of that purpose in the scripture that we are reading. And we as believers should long to be like Jesus. And so I want to ask you, like, do you ever think about that? I want to be like Jesus. <clears throat> or, are you, or do you just want to be a Baptist? Do you just want to be a Christian? Do you just want to be lukewarm? Do you want to be like Jesus? You know, do you really want to be like Jesus? And remember this, that Jesus is never going to force you. The Lord is never going to force you to be like him. 
We have to yield ourselves to him. Sometimes it, we think it'd be easier, Lord, just change me, just like, you know, whatever. Touch me with the wand and convert me into something new. He says that when we're born again, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. But he's never going to force a person to be like him if you don't want to. Think about that. That's what hell is for. For those that don't want to be like Jesus. It's this sobering and eternal truth that really God gives man what he really wants. God has a pre-programmed this world. God is and his providence is at work behind the scenes. But he really gives man what he wants. Sometimes people say, how can God send people to hell? He doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go to hell. They choose not to submit their lives to him. They choose not to accept him as Lord and Savior and to relish the truth that is given through God's word. If you really want to be like Jesus, it's going to show in your life now. It's going to show in your life right now. And for all eternity. It's going to be a fact. If you really don't want to be like Jesus, it's going to show in your life now. You'll be living like the devil. And it will follow you into all eternity. So we shall be like him, the scripture says. And none of us are going to be finished. We're not going to reach perfection in this life. So stop, you know, expecting that out of people because we don't get there. We walk this journey. We need the Lord. We need his forgiveness. We need his strength. We need his wisdom. We need his spirit to lead us. None of us will be finished until we see Jesus. And only then will we really truly see him as he is. Sometimes we think we got a pretty clear vision of who Jesus is. And we do get a good vision of it through the word. But the Bible says what? We see dimly. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. See, we can get sort of views of what we think Jesus is and who we think Jesus is. But I really think when we get in the presence of God, and I think the greatest glory of heaven is not to be personally glorified. It's not going to be up there receiving my rewards or my jewels or walking the streets of gold or all those things. <clears throat> but it's going to be to be in the, the unhindered and unrestricted presence of the Lord. Ever think of that? Sometimes when we sing songs and praises, you know, people are like, well, should I raise my hand? Shouldn't I raise my hand? Should I clap? Should I move my feet? Should I get excited? Should I give a shout to the Lord? Should I do that? Oh, no. We can't do that. We're restricted. We're restricted in our worship. We're restricted in our vision of who Christ really is. I'll tell you, if you want to read about worship, go into Psalms and read about worship. They had a good time. Praising the Lord. You know? But the thing is, is we're going to be someday in the presence of God. We're going to see clearly and beautifully we're going to be unrestricted in, in however we think that we need to worship uh, that glorifies God. We're going to be doing it. We're not going to care what this person thinks or what that person thinks. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Today, we, when we look in a good mirror, I mean, they got good mirrors. We can see all sorts of blemishes, right? If you get close enough to a mirror, you can see all sorts of blemishes. 
historical times, they just had a sort of a piece of shined tin or something where everything was distorted that they looked at. They really couldn't get a clear vision of anything. And, and that's sort of how it is with us with God right now. We have what, what he has given us in the word, and the things that are clear in the word are clear in the word. But it says, I has not seen or, or mind comprehend what God has for us. And, and so we understand that, that we're still seeing God in sort of a limited way. But when we see Jesus, then it says we are going to have perfect clarity to see him as he is. So what will we see when we see Jesus? Revelation 1 talks about it. Uh, there's a Phillips translation that I thought was sort of interesting. It says, he was dressed in a long robe with a golden breastplate. His head and hair were white as snow white wool. His eyes blazed like fire. And his feet shone as the finest bronze glows in the furnace. His voice had the sound of a great waterfall. And I saw that in his right hand he had seven stars. A sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his face was ablaze like the sun at its height. Now I don't know about you, but I'm being honest. When I try to picture this in my mind, it doesn't remind me of Grandma saying, Come here, son. I love you. It's sort of intimidating when you look at that. So it tells me that I'm not seeing things quite the way that I need to. But I do know that when I see Jesus like that, I'm going to be amazed. I'm going to be in the presence of God. I'm going to fall on my knee. I don't know if I'll weep. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know it's not going to be scary, sort of like what I'm picturing now. It's going to be amazing. Amazing what he has. And we know that Jesus is still going to bear the scars of the suffering on earth, the nail prints and the hole in the side. John tells us that in his gospel, chapter 20. So we're going to have that reminder of this great love that he has bestowed upon us. And so it says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, John made that connection. And he wanted to share that connection, and he wants us to have that connection today. He made that connection between seeing him as he is and our transformation to being more Christ-like. A lot of us talk about Jesus. A lot of us talk about ministry. We talk about evangelism. But we sit at home, we sit in front of our TV, we sit in front of our radio, we sit in our libraries, and we're not out in the world. Jesus says, go out, therefore. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. To obey all things as I have commanded you. But having this anticipation of being with Jesus can have a marvelous purifying effect in our lives in many ways. And it's not that we are perfecting ourselves, it's that the Lord is doing it. We're allowing him to do it. If you didn't get a newsletter, or if you do get a newsletter, on the back there's an a, a old hymn. I collect old hymnals, and I'm not musical. I don't play an instrument. I, I think I can carry a tune, at least a small range of tunes. But I like reading them. I read them like books sometimes. And I came across this one, 
And uh, there's two titles that it goes by, actually. The Master is Seeking a Harvest, and the other one is Nothing But Leaves. But I wanted to share this for you, because I think sometimes in the church, we have people that are more like this than what Christ would have us to be. It says, The Master is seeking a harvest, and lives he's redeemed by his blood. He seeks for the fruit of the Spirit in works that will glorify God. Nothing but leaves for the master. Oh, how his loving heart grieves when instead of the fruit he is seeking, we offer him nothing but leaves. He looks for his likeness reflected in lives that are yielded and true. He's looking for zeal in the winning of souls he's entrusted to you. Nothing but leaves for the master. Oh, how his loving heart grieves when instead of the fruit he is seeking, we offer him nothing but leaves. He's yearning for someone to carry the life-giving word far and near. He's waiting for hearts that are willing, for ears that are open to hear. He looks, or nothing but leaves for the master, oh how his loving heart grieves. When instead of the fruit he is seeking, we offer him nothing but leaves. And that's taken out of Matthew 21, 19. It says, seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. He said, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately it says that tree withered away. What are you offering, God? If you're in a true relationship with him, if you're grafted into the vine, you can read through the Gospels. It says that you will bear fruit. Because it says any branch that doesn't bear fruit is going to be cast off, cut off and cast into the fire. God's desire for us in being Christ-like is to be fruit producers in our life. Are you doing that? It makes us want to be ready to serve him now, to be pleasing to him now. Some have this cheap fire insurance, you know, that they think, oh, I've said this prayer, so when I, get, uh, so when I die, I won't go to hell, I'll go to heaven. But I'm going to continue to live my life the way I want to, on my agenda, on my terms now. And God says, that's a heresy. That's, that's cheap salvation. That's not even salvation at all. Our hope is in Him. We must never set our hope on other things. Our hope as Christians needs to always be in him. It's not in a relationship. It's not on success. Sometimes we think, oh, if I do all this, I'll, I'll be grand. It's not on a mutual fund, on your health, on your possessions, or even simply on yourself. Some people put all their hope in themselves. I can make it happen. I can do it. I can do this. No, it needs to be on him because Jesus is our only real hope. Do you love the Lord? Are you being obedient to him? You're a child of his. You're a child of his. I remember when I was growing up, and my father wasn't in the picture, but I remember somebody telling me one time, your father would be embarrassed of the things you're doing. And I didn't even know my father, but I remember that just touched me about my life and the things that I was doing in the way that I was living. Spiritually, I want to ask you that question. Would your father be embarrassed of the thoughts you keep, of the way that you treat others, of the things that you are participating in your life? If so, understand that you're a child of God. He loves you. 
He wants what's best for you. But he needs you to yield to him. Let's pray.